0: Attention Bajoran workers, it's time to talk about civil defense, which I love.
1: This is your favorite episode? It's my
0: favorite episode of Star Trek ever. It was I. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it was a a really fun episode. I'm curious as to why this particular one is your favorite, but it was a very—I liked it very much. Well, I mean, I'm
0: exaggerating a little bit. It's not my favorite episode of Star Trek ever, but it—I don't know— I don't even know that it would make my top 10. I think that I just appreciate civil defense because it is a rare example of Star Trek doing comedy in a way which is also serious. And yeah. it works It works on both levels. You know, we, we get more information about Gul Dukat. We get more information about Garrick. We get to see a different side of Deep Space Nine. We get to see all the characters in... Uh, uh, you know, kind of a different situation. But it's also just really, really funny.
1: Well, it's like every single, like every five minutes, you know, something happens and it's, oh shit, and things get worse. And then, you know, oh shit, things get worse again. Like it's, the situation keeps topping itself, you know, to almost, you know, ridiculous levels of danger by the end. Yeah, I mean, I
0: I think my favorite example of that is when the replicator,
1: replicates a
0: phaser that's just firing indiscriminately at everybody in ops. And, you know, part of it is that, I don't know, the show, I think we have to talk about Deep Space Nine Season 3 because we're a few episodes into it now. And, you know, while there have been a couple of episodes that I think have not been as good as we perhaps would have liked them to be. The show really, I think, has turned a corner in a fundamental oh, way. Yeah. You know, season two and season one of the show were, were solid. You know, they were they were good and there were some really, really great episodes in there. But the show seems to have a level of self confidence now. Yeah, that, it's
1: much more it's found its voice.
0: Yeah, and I think that that it's just really, really good to see that. And I think Civil Defense is a perfect example of the kind of episode that I don't think the show could have done before.
1: It's the kind of I mean it hinges a lot on knowing exactly who these characters are, you know. We need you know, the the fact that, you know, when Gold Ducat appears, when Garrick appears, you know, we need to we need to know exactly who these people are and to what degree we can or cannot trust them, sure. you know, for it to be effective. And it is very effective in that way. Um
0: I think that, that part of the reason why it works so well as as well is because it relies on us underst- having a level of understanding of, yeah. of the Cardassians as a people and and Golducott especially because i think that part of this is Golducott's paranoia right and i think part of it uh, but is
1: justified paranoia i mean it it it's Maybe. hilarious how everybody in Cardassia— expect you know th- th- there's i mean i love how everybody is out at each other and you know you think that Golducott has the upper hand and then someone has an upper hand on him you know and and i mean that that to me is the funniest and you know most terrifying part of this episode because you know No one in Cardassia trust each other, and... You know, everybody has fail-safes against everybody else. Everybody's spying on everybody else. Like, it's a very paranoid society.
0: Well, and it goes, it goes a lot further than that, too, I think, because, you know, on the one level you could look at it and you could say, okay, this is just a farce. You know, obviously events are out of control and, and the show keeps coming up with new and interesting ways to, to, to sort of like, you know, escalate the situation. And, and you know, escalation is, is a sort of a fundamental tenet of, of comedy, right? You want to keep and escalating sus- the scene.
1: But also of suspense, well, sure, exactly,
0: and I think that it works on both levels, you know? and I think that's why this episode is so effective, because it, it, it understands kind of the, the, the structure of comedy, and understands the structure of suspense, and understands the structure of drama, and it's just doing a really effective job. I mean, you know, I think that on a certain level, I don't think that this episode is anything special, but I think the reason why it's so special is because it just works so well.
1: Yeah, this is an example of a, just a perfectly crafted episode.
0: And it's interesting because I, 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 you know, as I understand it, this episode had kind of a, a, a troubled production history. Like, yeah. I really had a lot of trouble making this episode work, and I don't think that anyone had. Uh, on, on the production team had a good uh, uh, feeling about it and had a good sense that it was really going to work. Apparently, it was very difficult for this to, store, to break this story. Hmm. Um, everybody sort of had a hand in it, and uh, uh, you know, even the, the shooting of it apparently was was, was kind of a, a disaster in a lot of ways. And I can kind of see that because, in a certain sense, you know, it was designed as a bottle show. It was designed as an episode to save some money. Uh, you know, uh, the characters are sort of staying in one place for for the entire episode. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the only characters that are sort of moving around are uh, O'Brien, uh, Jake, and and, and Commander Cisco, but they're not really going anywhere. I would say they that, just
1: need a few rooms with some machinery problems,
0: exactly. And so, you know, for the bulk of the episode, you've got uh, uh, Bashir, Dax, and Kira stuck in Ops. You've got Quark and Odo stuck in in the security office, and then of course you have uh, uh Garrick coming into Ops and Gold Dukat coming into Ops. And so, you know, the set pieces are very easily understood. We know where all the characters are and we know what exactly is going on. And then the episode just kind of rolls down a hill. And, and it's just it's, it's just really fun to watch. I think that, you know, coming at this from, from you know, someone who's seen this episode a few times, you know, I know all the twists and turns. I remember this episode really well in a way that I think, you know, some other episodes perhaps I don't remember some of the twists and turns that well. but But watching this... This is one of the episodes I wish I could watch for the first time. You know,
1: again. I actually feel like I would enjoy I it more the like I second I mean, it, it it I can see it being a very different episode the second time around. But I mean, the it is very it it it, it changes the stakes of what this episode is about. You know, there is a bit where first it seems that, you know, the station has just gotten everyone on lockdown, you know, and then, you know, it's actually shooting at them, and you know, and then Garrick stops everything for a few minutes, and then it gets worse, you know, and then Goldicott comes, and you think, all right, Goldicott's gonna, you know, gonna save, and then you realize he's, oh, he's using this for leverage, and then for for a while it becomes about, well, how do we outwit Goldicott? And then once Goldicott is as trapped as everybody else, and, you know the station is going to self-destruct the biggest stakes of all, really. Um, You know, then suddenly it becomes how do we stop, you know, how do we stop the bomb, it becomes a how do we stop the bomb plot.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, know, if the episode didn't, you know if, if we didn't like the characters so much and if the characters were not so well defined I don't think that the episode would be nearly as fun to watch i mean the the actual plot of the episode, the mechanics of how events are sort of staggering on is interesting enough, but the extra added layer and the extra layer of sort of fun and and you know interest is is in these characters in how they're going to interact with each other and and for, I mean you know a perfect example of that is the scene with Kira and Gul Dukat in cisco's uh, office because You know, Golducott immediately goes, sits down at Cisco's desk. You know, we know that Golducott is arrogant. You know, he would definitely do this. He knocks the baseball off the desk. You know, Kira's just standing there, kind of amused at this. I mean, she's not really, you know, having any of it. And that exchange is just so perfect because you can tell that Kira hates Golducat. but she's not going to give him the satisfaction. Of 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 knowing it or having some I sort of it outburst. I thought it was interesting
1: that Garrick implies that Goldicott is into Kira, or he's he's you know fascinated well, yeah. by her. You know, well, yeah. To what degree he's fucking with Goldicott, and to what degree you know Gul'dan is a little fixated on Kira is a is an open. I think this episode was really interesting because it brings up a lot of things, but allows that to be on the table, but not change everything. In other words. You know, Goldicott, the second – you know, he thinks that this is an opportunity, and the second he sees this opportunity, he seizes it. He's ready to take over. He has this goal. He has this very yeah. specific – he very specifically wants a Cardassian presence on the station. We don't – still don't know what the larger Cardassian goals are, but we know that. And of course, you know, Goldicott gets foiled because of the extra security on there, but now it's out of the bag. No, we know Goldicott is really just waiting for his moment. And that's very that that's that's will put the rest of the interactions <laughs> with Goldicott in a very interesting light.
0: Well, yeah. And it's something that I think the show has yeah. intimated before, but I don't think it's come right out and said. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the different factions on Cardassia. You know, you've got the civilian government, which is sort of nebulous at this point. We, we don't know a lot about them. You know, you have the, the Obsidian Order, which is doing whatever it's doing. And you've got the military. And so, you know, the, we know kind of the structure of it. The civilian government, you know, basically ordered the, the evacuation of, of Bajor, you know, the occupation, right? And, and the, the military perhaps was not into this very much. And so it makes sense on that level that Golduckot would use this as an opportunity, would use this as leverage to to really sort of put a presence back on the station at least. I, I wonder, you know, what, what is his end plan, you know? And I think that I think it's interesting that that we can have these discussions and have it be. Something that's meaningful because this again I think is a perfect example of how Deep Space Nine in its storytelling structure yeah. is a different show than the next generation because I don't think we'd be having these questions about an episode like this in TNG. You know, if this kind of episode happened in TNG it would have been a very self contained thing and maybe it would have mentioned a couple things from other episodes. But there wouldn't be an open question about, you know, sort of what this character wants down the road and have it actually be sort of a meaningful. Yeah, this question.
1: is uh this is Goldicott making a chess move in a way and you know, Get, he get you know everyone else gets out of check you know by the skin of their teeth but we know that he's going to be in a way it kind of is a reminder to the DS9 people like as vigilant as you are about the Dominion you still got to worry about Golduckot and the Cardassians they're not going away
0: yeah i think so and 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 you know it's interesting because I, I one of the reasons why I like this episode so much, and I think why uh, you know I find it so amusing is I do like Golducot as a character a oh, lot, yeah. and I think that the show is using him in really different and interesting ways. He's a good villain. Yeah, he's definitely a good villain, and I think that you know it. It, it was one of the stated goals. I think Iris Stephen Bear said this about this episode that they kind of felt like they were going down the road of making. Uh, Goldacott a little less of a villain, and so they kind of wanted to to reestablish him as as not a great guy. Yeah, like you know, yeah, there's a whole thing about familiarity, and you sort of get comfortable with someone, well. and maybe you you kind of take the more charitable interpretation of their actions. But I think in this episode it goes a long way towards reminding the audience that Gold Ducat is not necessarily a nice guy. I mean, you've got the the you know with the the, the device of Gold Ducat appearing on the monitors, attention Bajoran workers, I'm so sad that you're doing this. Like yeah. all that kind of, which is just
1: lying through his teeth and uh, well, lying through his teeth <laughs> and
0: we know that because he doesn't care about the Bajoran workers, right? and you know it really does establish him as as you know on the one hand he's this kind of eye in the sky he you know it 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 works on a level of Having Gul Dukat just appear and say these things, which we know are demonstrably not true, it also works on the level of "Oh my God, Gul Dukat, Like set up this entire elaborate, you know, series of recorded messages yeah. just on the off chance that the Bajoran, you know, ore processing workers would revolt. You know, it's cra- I mean, it's yeah. crazy. We you, find, know, but- you know,
1: we saw in Necessary Evil what life looked like for the Bajoran workers, um, yeah. and this is, I, I mean, let's face it: these security devices, you know. These are some very you know intelligent people who work, you know who are specialized in these things and they get out just ran you know by by using you know all of their abilities. Like you can picture how the Bajoran workers how they would have you know fared against this thing.
0: Oh yeah, not well at you know? all. Yeah. I mean, and- I, I think it's you know it's also funny because it, it uses. Uh, 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 O'Brien and Jake's, you know, knowledge of the station against them. I mean, you know, it, it's really interesting because it makes you wonder what else is lying out there that they don't know about.
1: You yeah, know? I <laughs> mean, we we had that episode from the first season where it was the Bajoran, you know, device that was the right. booby trap. But yeah, I mean, we, we we they've been talking a little more about how Deep Space Nine is home for these characters now. They're starting to get used to it. They're starting to feel comfortable there. And then this happens. You know, this place will never quite be home because it still was built by the Cardassians. And there are so many black boxes in it that, you know, even O'Brien doesn't know about yet.
0: Right. They have no idea. I think that, you know, you're right. It does harken back to the season opener where Sisko was bringing back some of his things from Earth and sort of, oh, this is home now. You know, And and Bashir says as much in this episode where he said he was just starting to think of this place as home. And Kira kind of looks at him like… Yeah, but your home was built by Cardassians, dude. Like, don't get too comfortable.
1: And 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 that's a metaphor for how to treat Cardassians. Still at this point, dude. I mean, remember that you know, Garrick does save the day, but let's face it, he is just as you know, he has as as vested an interest as anybody else in you know fixing this problem. You know, well, and you know he. He he doesn't want it to blow up. He doesn't want, you know, things to, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, that's what, but we still, you know. I mean, I
0: think the the one thing that we can safely say about Garrick uh, that we know to be demonstrably true is that the man does not want to
1: die. Yeah, he doesn't want to die and he doesn't want DS9 to be destroyed.
0: Yeah. But uh, I, I yeah, think
1: no, I th- th- those are the two things we can say about
0: him. Well, I don't know that I would I don't know that I would agree that well, I don't know that he wants DS nine to be destroyed. I, think,
1: particular, I, think, I mean, at this particular point he doesn't because that's where for whatever reason he's there, you know. I
0: think he doesn't want Deep Space Nine to be destroyed because he doesn't want to die. I don't think it has anything more to do with that that's fair. than that. I mean um, I, you know, I think that if he wanted to go somewhere else, he would go somewhere else. Yeah.
1: That no, that's fair. He he for whatever reason he has to stay on DS9 and I don't know if it's anything inherent about the place though. I mean that that
0: I don't know. I don't know if it is. I mean, I think that's an interesting question. I mean, do you do you get that do you get that impression from the show or from Garrick?
1: I mean, I I, I I'm not it's still an open question why is DS9 the only place where he can be because, you know, he is exiled to there. Yes, but I mean they they've talked about you know, is it simply if he leaves DS Nine, he'll get you know, event instantly killed by the Obsidian Order for some reason? But you know, it's a big galaxy; he, he really couldn't go anywhere else. You know, why is he there specifically? Right. Why is that his refuge? You know, well, the, and
0: all, and also, frankly, I mean, I think that, that you know, the show elides this a little bit, but but the idea yeah. that the Obsidian Order can't get to Garrick on Deep Space Nine is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I was gonna say, I so mean,
1: that that's so that you know that so I guess I feel for that reason there was something. Whether it's proximity to something, whether it's just that DS9 is, a, you know, is kind of a central location at this point to the wormhole, to Bajor, to where everything's happening. I don't know if it, 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 it's ambiguous on the way, but he's there for a reason.
0: Yeah, And I think that, you know, we we saw last week with, with Second Skin that, you know, the Obsidian Order, if they want to get somebody on yeah. Space Nine, they can get someone. I mean, they abducted the second in command of the station and turned her into a Cardassian. So they can pretty much do whatever they want, I think. And you know it's funny you say that Garrett kind of saves the day in this episode because I don't know that he does. Well, no, he's I mean,
1: for a few minutes he does. For he, a few,
0: yeah, for a few minutes he does. He, I mean,
1: he becomes what he he manages to figure out one of the systems, but then uh, as the episode is go does it escalates. You know, right? He seems to be the cavalry, but you know, just like Goldacut seems to be the cavalry for a few minutes, right?
0: Right. And at the end of the day, I think it is interesting that that both Gold Golducott and Garrick are the ones that actually make the situation worse because, you know, there is there is an undercurrent in this episode which I think seems to be saying that the Cardassians uh a paranoia kind of works against them in some way. Because, yeah. you know, obviously this is making the situation worse in, in fundamental ways. I mean, Garrick tries to do something which makes the situation worse, and then Golducott makes the situation worse by uh, by by appearing on the station and and so you know the, the, and and part of it is Garrick I think part of it is Gold Ducat and Garrick's arrogance as well I think that yeah you know Gold Ducat obviously thinks that he has the upper hand in the situation I don't think Garrick thinks he has he has the upper hand but I think Garrick believes that he can fix the situation just because he's yes. a Cardassian and and what it comes down to is that it doesn't really matter <laughs> which I like
1: yeah I mean the fact that they are <laughs> again you know and, and I think it's funny, you know. Obviously, the guy on the monitor he says, You've failed as a credit to Gold Ducat. Obviously, he has a tape, you know, for him too. You know, he has some on his vessel, he has some kind of self destruct program that his superior put for him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think that's terrifying and wonderful. But I mean, that's the, you know, the one of the things we said about the Legate in Second Skin is that he thinks himself untouchable because of his position. And as the episode proves, there is no. so I guess that's the lesson. There is no one untouchable on Cardassia. Maybe I is, don't know. Is there a Cardassian, you know, queen? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, I don't know. They don't know. They don't have a monarchy.
0: <laughs> what What do you What do you think about uh, Quark and Odo in this episode? Because I they're not in the episode much, but I like them. Oh, the, you know, it,
1: it's it's again whenever. Quark and Odo are just having a scene. It's really good, you know. They 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 bicker like brothers. They are they that, that, that's who the two of them are, really. You know, they have a brotherly relationship more so than uh, Ram and Quark do.
0: Yeah, I think so. But I think it's interesting that that you know Quark goes to Odo and says, "Oh, this is the safest place to be," and then yeah. of course he gets you know, gets stuck in there. No. And Odo is is obviously you know playing with him to some degree and really kind of. Um, I think Odo knows how to push Quark's buttons. Yeah. obviously Odo no- likes to push Quark's buttons, and I think it's an interesting relationship because I don't think that they like each other very much, but I think that they respect each other in some weird way. And that I, I think this episode goes a long way towards that because you know Quark, you know, by saying that this is the safest place to be on the station is is kind of a, 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 a it's a it's a it's an acknowledgement that that Odo knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah he does a good job of his job, or that he's gonna, Odo's gonna survive, so, you know, and also, frankly, Quark knows full well that, you know, Quark's not gonna be able to die on Odo's watch, Yeah, if if Odo has anything to say about that, I mean, again, I, there is a degree to where, you know, if anyone's gonna get Quark in trouble, it's gonna be Odo, you know, you don't... Which is why I say they have a brother relationship. You know, I'll beat you up, but no one else can.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, in the same way, I, I like the the scenes between, uh, uh, you know, everyone in ops as well because it's actually kind of an interesting different pairing than we normally get. I mean, you know, we don't get to see, um, uh, you know, Kira Dax and Bashir altogether, you know, kind of interacting. We don't we don't get to see O'Brien and Cisco and Jake interacting. You know, and I yeah, like I like the pairings that they're using in this episode as well because, you know, there there are sort of groupings of characters that we don't necessarily besides Quark and Oda, which you know, you have yeah. to do, right? I mean, that just has to happen. I I don't think that we get to see these different groupings of characters together in this way a lot of the time. And you know, a lot of a lot of what is interesting about Deep Space 9, I think, and we've we've talked about this in the past, is that, you know, they they have have, you know alien characters. They have a, a, you know a, quite a substantial number of alien characters that are main main cast members on this show, and that they're they're giving. And not only that, but they're non starfleet, so they're giving that different perspective. Yeah, going you say know, for the
1: main cast, there's really only two humans, right? um o'brien and cisco well and jake jake, jake a, if yeah, yeah jake is
0: a main cast member he doesn't appear in okay. every episode so you know and bashir as well oh, yeah. um but you know you have dax you have quark you have odo you have kira um and you could even kind of round up garrick in this episode a little bit because you know one of the one of the funny things is that you know um you know richard and i were talking about this off mic and i said you know garrick actually isn't in the show that much like he's only been in the show like i think four times so far or five yeah. times something like that which is you know kind of surprising that he's yeah. so large in our head but, but he's
1: such he, again he's a very pre, that the actor is very present you know yeah he's, yeah
0: but but i think my point is that you know in in a, these characters all work together in a different way than tng because tng was about fundamental respect and these yeah. people were a family i don't get the sense that these people are a family necessarily but i think that they they work together because they all sort of understand that they're there to get a job done and you know do O'Brien and Cisco like they have a good relationship, but I definitely get the sense that it's you know it's a it's a friendly boss relationship it's not so, like they're yeah. friends
1: you know, and they don't you know in, in in a way it's like the next generation cast had no choice but to be friends, part of that was because of Roddenberry's mandate, but you know the show is made with the understanding that this is how people will be. You know, if in in any, you know, you get any group of Starfleet people, they're going to have these values and get along because of that. Right, You know, And, you know, here we see that not being the case. You know, any friendship that they've had that the DS9 cast has, they've, you know, they've earned it in a way that the TNG cast didn't really. Like, I think, you know, it feels like the TNG cast just kind of, this is a show where he picked his first mate out of an awful list, you know, and they grew to, you know, be devoted to each other, you know, uh, DS nine, you know, if, you know, like no one really liked Bashir at the beginning, you know, because he was very young, hadn't proven himself. Nobody feels that way about him now because he has proven himself. He has grown up in the past couple of seasons. He has, you know, earned his keep and so you know yeah they all have you know respect him and have grown to like him you know things like that
0: well and I think you know it's it's interesting you say that because it makes me think of the way that the the two shows developed the the sort of relationship between two of the female characters. So you know we, oh, yeah. we always made jokes about how TNG used Troy and Crusher because they were friends because they both had vaginas and it's like they don't really have anything in common they didn't do a good job of establishing that friendship it just seemed like it was happening because they were both the only two female main characters yeah. whereas the the friendship between Dax and Kira. You know, while it does have its problematic elements, it also does feel a lot more organic. You know, you've seen them interacting with each other in a sort of friendly way before. The actors have better
1: chemistry. The actors have
0: better chemistry as well. And so I like the fact that in this episode, you know, Dax and Kira are are kind of the ones that are stuck in ops. And you get that nice, you know, relationship amongst all of them because they do like each other and they do respect each other to some degree.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, as we're seeing, you know, Kira and Bashir are starting to have a almost brotherly-sisterly relationship in a way. Yeah, which they, I think... They're cool. evolving out of... The, we'll talk about that in the next I episode. I was going to say, yeah. But they're evolving out of the romance.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, also, the, I think the last relationship in the episode, and then maybe we can move on to, to Meridian, is, is you know, Garrick and, and Gul Dukat, which, you know, we sort of talked oh, yeah. about earlier. But, you know, they don't like each other. And... We don't know why.
1: There's some. There's a, so number one, there's a mention of Goldicott's father, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if that's implying that the the guy who was Garrick's mentor that he may or may not have – that episode. Yes. I don't know if the implication was that was Goldicott's father or not. But Goldicott. Well, uh, maybe, maybe Gold, not. It's very clear that Goldicott's father had a very strong uh, role, to say the least, in Garrick's exile. Yes. And, you know, Goldicott believes that his father should have had him executed instead of simply exiled. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, that's all we know for sure right now, but that's an interesting wrinkle.
0: It It is. It is. And, I, you know, I think it's just, it, you know, that opportunity or that topic, I think it'd just be stay tuned.
1: Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. Obviously, that 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 just as this episode is seeding, you know, Goldicott is just waiting for his moment. This is also seeding, you know, Goldicott's father is somebody.
0: Yep. All right. Well, I think that's civil defense. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Meridian.
1: I have very conflicted feelings about this episode. I, uh, why? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it, it, it's very, I don't know. I, a lot of it is I completely don't buy for a second the romance that it centers around.
0: Yeah, I guess. I don't it doesn't know, I mean...
1: quite have to. But one of the other things is that the timing of this episode is kind of odd. In other words, this episode, I think, would have worked better in season one or two before the threat of the Dominion was to the forefront, because Dax doesn't even seem to be aware of that. I can, ex- you know, I can accept. Her- well, I mean, I can accept Dax meeting somebody, falling in love, and deciding, you know. Again, sixty years out of you know her lifetime is is a drop in the bucket. This is a very different experience. She's going to have a lot to do with restoring this. Like that's all fine, but she doesn't even seem to think about well, you know, am I going to be leaving you know the Dominion to take over? What's going to happen in sixty years with the Dominion? You know, what is you know is the Dominion going to come and destroy the Federation, and I'll come back to see the Alpha Quadrant in ruins? Like none of that's mentioned, and that that feels. Irresponsible of her.
0: I mean, do you really think so? Though I mean, yes. I I I don't know. I I I think that that I mean, well, that criticism has a little bit of validity, but I also think that I don't know. Dax, as a Starfleet officer, feeling some sort of duty or obligation to stay around because the Dominion may or may not destroy the Federation is I don't know. I mean, that seems like such a high level sort of thing to worry about one person. I mean. And you know, Dax is a science officer. She's not, yeah. you know, she she's not a a you know she's not a security officer. She's not a, she's not in command. She's not an admiral. I mean, I, I don't really know. I guess I'm not really understanding Maybe. why that's such a criticism that's sticking out in your head because. Yeah, I think you could totally make that argument if this was about Commander Cisco. I think you could totally Maybe. make this argument if it was about Kira uh, because she obviously like cares, cares even... a lot about Bajor and the, the the wormholes right there. And if the Dominion comes through, guns blazing, then Bajor is going to be on the front lines. Dax? I don't know. I mean, doesn't seem that weird to me.
1: All right. Well, I mean, that's, that's fine for you to not think of it as weird. Um, it's interesting seeing Star Trek doing an episode that's mostly about sex. Um,
0: yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, The well, the interesting thing about Meridian for me is I think that the first half of the episode is a lot better than the second half, okay. and I, I kind of, this is a problem with the show and well, kind of the Dominion in general, because they do mention the Dominion a couple of times in this episode, and you know, you've got this whole thing set up where the Dominion's like, stay the fuck out of the Gamma Quadrant, yeah. and the Federation's like, okay... And then, eight episodes later, they're like, despite the threat of the Gamma Quadrant, we're still going to fuck around in the Gamma Quad. And you're like,
1: Yeah, which again, that's another reason this episode may have slotted better in an earlier season.
0: Like, that seems irresponsible of the Federation, frankly. And that's fair. You know, to to kind of be like, Well, I know that the Dominion told us to not. Do this, but we're going to do it anyway. It's like, don't poke the bear, dudes. Like, <laughs> what are you, what are you doing here? Um, you know, and I think that that you're, you're kind of. I think Meridian is one of those episodes which is kind of, uh, you know, scraping up against the the sort of limits of the Star Trek format because you know this show is still episodic. I mean, there are there is serialization, yeah. It's certainly heavier than it is in T, that it ever was in TNG, but and there is definitely, I think, a feeling more of a progression of of, of a story moving forward in each episode. But Meridian is still just a standalone episode, and at the end of the day, everything is reset.
1: And I guess part of it is for me is you know that Dax doesn't leave the show after this episode. Sure, yeah. I don't know uh, until watching this episode. Frank, I didn't know either way. Now, while I know that this is you know, it's po- it's it wasn't likely that she would use you know this would be the way that she would you know be written out of the show. Yeah, it's not impossible. I mean, this may have been their way of making up for Tasha Yar. You know you know, Terry Farrell wants to leave the show. Okay, well, how do you want your character to leave, you know, and this kind of a thing, you know? It, it did seem up until the last moment that it was possible that this show would... Well, have,
0: and to be clear, Terry Farrell doesn't want to leave the show. So, I mean, like, no, there's, there's no, no, you know...
1: No, I, but, I mean, and honestly though it could have also been she goes there and you know that's she you know she wanted to go on vacation for a couple months you know there's a few episodes where she's away on meridian and then later on oh we figured out a way to get meridian back you know earlier you know like that could have even been a thing you know i don't know yeah
0: um well i think that that the problem with meridian is that you know, it it does that Star Trek thing and I think it did, you know, this was our criticism of Troy episodes, you know, that, yeah. that you know, I, I, have a, I was always of the, you know, I am always of the opinion now, especially watching TNG again for the first time, well, not the first time, but sort of rewatching it. it, um, you know, the whole thing recently, that I really did come to appreciate Troy when she wasn't the central character of an episode. Yeah. And, and, and when they gave Troy her own episode, they didn't know what else to do with her, but, you know, they were like, well, she's a woman, so let's give her a love interest. And yeah. it never felt real whereas i like you know the show is sort of going in an interesting direction with dax because they have intimated in the past that she's kind of a she's a kind party of, girl she's a party yeah exactly she's kind of a party girl she's kind of a player like she she enjoys casual sex
1: and yeah, so and she gets on yeah she gets onto a planet which is very almost i don't want i i don't want to say hedonistic in a negative term but. When they are have a physical existence, they are enjoying food. They are enjoying the sunshine. They live in paradise, you know. Right. And he's very obvious, you know. The two of them are meeting and flirting, and they're obviously intending to just, you know.
0: Well, um, to 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 not to put too fine a point on it, but but I I buy their sexual attraction. Yes. I buy their sexual chemistry, and I buy the fact that they're fucking like rabbits. I don't buy the fact that suddenly they just fall in That's, love. That's
1: yeah. Because I was going to say both of them. It makes sense. Listen, you'll be here for a you few. Know, In a way, it's like a vacation fling to both of them, you know, that turns real.
0: Well, it's Star Trek's sexual conservatism, I think, you know, really coming to to a head again. Because the show is doing... It's pushing at the boundaries of what Star Trek is able to 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 do in terms of liberalization of the sexuality of the characters, but at the end of the day, the show is always going to reset and go back to that more conservative interpretation. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know if it's Rick Berman. I don't know if it's Paramount. You know, I don't know if it's just the fact that that this was seen as a quote unquote family show. But you know, there is kind of a, a you know an understanding that. You know, while Dax and this guy, whose name I don't even remember and didn't write down, because frankly it doesn't it matter, doesn't matter um, you know, they're they're making all these coy little jokes about counting each other's spots, and you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. but but at the end of the day, the show can't allow that to continue it has to say hey if you have sex with someone it can't just be because you both enjoy the feeling of orgasms you also need to have this like grand romance yeah. and that's... that's where the episode falls apart for me
1: and that's fair um
0: because you know i don't buy that they would fall in love i don't buy that they would fall in love this quickly and i don't buy that dax would would well, would abandon you know, her entire life.
1: That's, I guess where I mean, the more, maybe what I'm saying with, you know, the dominion, you know, because that, I guess that's a big part of the life at this point, but yeah, there are a lot of things that she is giving up that, you know, but again, you know, to a degree, as I said, 60 years is a drop in the bucket for, you know, and she even says as much, you know, that, that, um, you know, 60 years is nothing when you've lived, you know, for eight lifetimes or whatever. And, you you know, as I said, you know, this will be a very interesting phenomenon for her to go through. And she's going, you know, in 60 years from now, when Meridian comes back, she's going to have a hell of a lot of work to do, you know. But it's just,
0: it just, it, 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 you know, my problem with it again is that it, it turns, you know, a casual sexual yeah. relationship into something that needs to be meaningful. And I think that, you know, I I just, I don't think it needs to be, you know, I think that again, I think it's just it, the, the problem with it is that it, it turns into a Star Trek thing where yeah. everything, you know, you need to have, you know, if someone, well, perfect example is the subplot of this episode, the B plot of this episode, because if someone just wants to have sex, if someone just wants that, that physical release with someone and, you know, the endorphins yeah. and all that crap, you know, the, the B plot is, is turning that into a creepy thing. Like you know, sexuality is creepy if you're not in love with the person. Like you have to be in love with the person you're having sex with, or you, it needs to lead to love. Otherwise, yeah. you're you're a creeper. And it's like,
1: but you know what? If, uh, Star Trek. What, what the hell's going on with? But you? I have like, to say, like, here's the other thing: is that it is an entire. I maybe this is one of those where it has different standards for men or women because you know they've ne- with with Riker's you know escapades on on the Next Generation, but they you know they were always fair. You, They weren't particularly judgmental towards Riker's girls either because, you know, they always made him as the kind of person who he loves women, he likes women, who are, you know...
0: It could be possible that it was just a little sexist. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, I I, I I
1: think that's the case. I mean, Bashir is also seen as, you know, kind of a player and he's not looking to settle down, you know, if it's not with Dax at this, you know, so, you know, he's... I mean, because
0: I'm of, you know, I'm of two minds about the subplot. I think that on the one hand, it's it's a deeply creepy look at someone who is basically stalking Kira yeah, and uh, talking about the alien and talking about Quark. I mean, Quark is doing something which is demonstrably, you know, sexual harassment and, and if not sexual assault, right? Like, I mean, you know, and, and, and and on the other hand, Kira doesn't seem to be that bothered by it. She seems to be amused by it because she knows that it's not actually affecting her and so in a way it empowers her in a way. So it's kind of like this weird thing, but I don't think that the show well, I would is, say she
1: seems more um, angry at Quark. Right. For doing she it.
0: doesn't seem really angry at the guy because she's not threatened by him. She's a very strong capable woman yeah. and you know, Kira is probably I think the best female character of any Star Trek show that we've watched so far. Yeah. But I think at the same time, the the script is not self-aware enough to really go in that direction. And so it does come across as kind of creepy on this and, at the same time. And I just, you know, it, it's in this weird place where, you know, on the one hand, you have the male gaze and you have this kind of thing and all that kind of stuff. And it's played for laughs and Kira doesn't feel, you know, if, if Kira doesn't feel threatened by this guy. But on the same time, it is kind of creepy because... You know, you've got this whole thing with Dax and this guy, and it's just—it's kind of a mess.
1: Yeah, it felt—I don't know—I wanted to like this episode better than I did, and I think the ending where it just she's not allowed to stand Meridian because she's not allowed to stand Meridian because you know she isn't leaving the show—seemed just kind of—I—I know that's the way the story has to go, and it makes sense, but you know, let me ask you this: I doubt that we ever talk about Meridian again, right?
0: Um, I don't think so.
1: Yeah. So it's not like, you know, it's not like, again, you know, in a season Meridian comes back, oh, we figured it out, you know, or something like that. Well,
0: you know, and part, I mean, it's another part of the problem with Meridian is that the the alien society is just so ill-defined, you know, like you've got this.
1: Well, I, I mean, the implication is that, you know, it's a group of, you know, they were a group of colonists. They arrived on the planet, you know. They started to get set up, you know, very quickly after, you know, exploring it, then it vanished. And then, you know, they've only been... You know, in real time, you know, because this keeps happening, they don't, you know, it's implied they don't really have time to set up society. So, you know, if they're only doing a couple of weeks, you know, and I mean, the the planet looks very fertile. It doesn't look like it's very hard for them to get food from it. You know, they seem to just, you know, enjoy, you know, fruit from the, you know, it's almost Edenic, you know. And so it's not like they have to do anything difficult to agriculture and because, you know, they're not really – Building, they they don't really have the time or opportunity to build cities or you know. Get yeah, but that's some, not.
0: Yeah, but that's not really what I'm talking about. Oh, I think my 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 problem with it more is like the sixty years that they spend as as pure consciousness, and it's yeah. like I know there's no way to really satisfactorily get that across, but I don't really get a good understanding of of these people as people. I don't get a good sense of the different desires. I mean, it seems like. They really want to maintain their physical form. They want to stay there longer. Um, is the actual consciousness part of it enjoyable? It seems like maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. Um, it seems like maybe they're getting bored by it, but they don't ever make this clear. And I think that part of the problem with this is, is like, well, I think they I don't they
1: seem to like the. They seem to like the dual existence, and they're upset that the physical part is so much smaller than the... I mean, I think if they were able to get the planet so that it's 30 years, you know, in consciousness, 30 years in physical form, and, you know, it just kind of swaps between the two, and that's how they... I think they'd love that because. You but know, eventually
0: they want to die. I mean, eventually they would die then, and I don't get a sense that any of them really want to die. And so, like, yeah, but this who wants a, to die? Well, this is a, this is a thing that there's not really thought out, and I, I don't know that there are answers for it. I'm just picking holes at it, but but it, it it's just a problem that it's so ill defined. I, I don't, you the, know, the,
1: the planet feels more like a plot device than a planet.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean it's it's just a, it's just a device to get this guy in this weird love story with Dax, and I, you know, why doesn't he leave with her? I mean, like I, you know, I, there's just answers. To, you know, I don't know. Well, I it's, mean,
1: yeah, I guess that's the you know they talk about his responsibilities to the planet and you know I buy that sure fine um but and and that's another thing where they don't mention Dax's responsibilities at this point and they aren't as important as his well and
0: also frankly too I mean there's all this talk about the the, I guess she's the leader of of the small group of people that live there I mean they say what there's like 30 or 40 of them there's not that many of them um you know why are they so focused on having children why are they so focused on on creating a society in the physical realm, because it seems to me that, you know, if you lived as pure consciousness for 60 years and then went back to a physical form for like a couple of weeks, I mean, if they said it was well, like 10 they're, days, they're, they're, like I mean, that,
1: that's, I think that's, I, I feel like the episode addressed that because they're talking about how, they're not able to do that because they don't have time. They don't have time to start. What do
0: you a mean they don't have time? They have plenty of time. They have they have sex and then like every sixty years they have ten days and then the- <laughs> you know I mean like eventually it'll happen. Yeah,
1: like, but it's you know, they they I think they kind of you don't want, need they any- want the unbroken spate of time, I think.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's just, I don't know. It just, it bothers me because it's so ill-defined. Yeah. It's not well thought out. That's
1: that's fair. It does involve, it's one of those episodes that involves a lot of half-assed speculation from us.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. And I don't really appreciate that. Like, I think the episode should have... No, I I mean like I think that the show should have done a better job of thinking this out. I mean, you know, it's funny because I don't think that I I've, I've never seen this and I don't know it doesn't sound like you made this connection and I don't even know if you know what this is. You probably do, but I was reading about this and this was actually based on Brigadoon. Oh my god,
1: I wrote Brigadoon down on my notes.
0: Yeah, I don't know what Brigadoon is. It's a so. musical.
1: Um <laughs> but, but yeah, it's about this town that it has a spell on it where it, you know, appears for a week. And then disappears for 10 years and then appears for a week and then disappears. And, you know, so these two guys are, you know, walking through the Scottish highlands and they come upon the town. And, you know, one of them ends up falling in love with a woman there and he stays at the end. And but
0: So why do we need to see a Star Trek version of that?
1: Brigadoon.
0: Brigadoon. It just, it feels like the characters are not acting like themselves. Yeah. Like Dax doesn't feel like she's acting like herself. Commander Cisco doesn't feel like he's acting like himself. I mean, you get some nice scenes between Cisco and, and Dax when they're saying goodbye. And that was a good scene, yeah. And you, you get to see Bashir and Dax and having their little scene. You know, there are parts of it that work, but I, I just, you know, the, the fundamental problem with it is that I don't buy that Dax would make this decision.
1: Yeah, and it feels like everybody thinks maybe that it's a bad idea. Like, Bashir is very passive-aggressive in that scene, you know, and he—and— Uh, it it, it seems like they all, and and Cisco is in, is very like, well, I want you to be happy. That's basically his, you know, speech. And he's not saying, no, look, he's a great guy. This is the right, you know, it seems like everybody's too polite to tell Dax not to, but the episode doesn't realize that because, you
0: know right it's like they have to respect her choices even when her choices are stupid
1: which you know <laughs> to 1 degree yes uh, you know that that's fine she's allowed to make a mistake you know but
0: but it just, you know, but it, but again, it's just problematic because it it implies that you can't just have a casual sexual relationship; that it needs to be this like life altering, you know, long life love affair. If you're going to put your, you know, you're going to allow some guy to put his dick in your in your vagina, like I, I just, I don't know. I just feel like there's there's a weird yeah. sexual conservatism to it that that you know, so far, I think Deep Space Nine has done a pretty good job of staying away from. Listen, and so, we
1: need a Troy to make another appearance because that's the only way we're going to save things well really is that next week uh, It might be oh god (laughs) (laughs) oh so then she has the affair with q and that's the episode knock knock q's there
0: that was so weird richard are you looking ahead no yeah she she's in the next really yeah oh
1: my god awesome
0: (laughs) yeah Wow, I never thought you would – wow. Go back, to, <laughs> go back to our episode when we talked about the season one episode, TNG Haven, and, and, and wow, and then play that back. And Richard was really excited to see La L- a Troy. Never I would have she's... thought it, huh?
1: Yeah, I, I – yeah, st- st- She's starting – you know, it's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome, but La a Troy is growing on me, just like the baby that she's having with Q in the episode. Knock, knock, Q's there i'm gonna write this fan action episode this is happening
0: i i think that you should i think that it would be a fine example of your writing talents and everyone, <laughs> would really, everyone would really enjoy reading it richard so, so please go ahead and do that
1: sure okay great
0: maybe we'll make that as a a, a special perk on the patreon about that <laughs> yeah i i don't know that there's much else to say about meridian i think that it's not very good, and it's got some fundamental problems, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. I mean...
1: At least it's a planet where they go and no one's evil, you know what I mean? Like, there's... You know, for a few minutes, you think this leader is going to be, you know, a problem, and she's all, you know, trying to set him up with this. But, you know, she seems to accept Dax when she realizes she's going, you know. She, like, she's benign. I, I think that... It, it, I like that they're all benign.
0: It kind of feels like the show is beyond
1: this, though. Oh, like, yes.
0: Like, this feels...
1: This isn't the se- – this is the first mediocre episode of the season.
0: Yeah, like this This feels like a
1: like a Star Trek episode.
0: And the show is kind of beyond
1: that at this point, you know? I mean, maybe this does – would make more – have made more sense as a TNG episode.
0: I think that there's no doubt
1: that it would have. And you unfortunately have to make it a Troy episode, but
0: – Well, you could make it about Crusher, I guess, but not – No,
1: because Cru- Troy – I don't know, because Tro- – well – Crusher would never leave her son in this way. But then again, her son leaves her in that way.
0: Right. So, I don't don't, know. Who cares? I don't know. It doesn't matter for (laughs) you.
1: Listen, Eric, this is, I know, I know. Listen, I got, I, I, I can't speculate on what this episode should be. I have to write my script.
0: Okay. Very good. Well, you focus on that while I, while I wrap up the episode. Uh, So if you have any thoughts on either one of the episodes that we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at trekaboutshow.com. Our social media username is trekaboutshow, where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, And also, we uh, now have a Patreon, so uh, please do go check that out the website, trekaboutshow.com, and throw us a couple bucks if you feel so inclined. And if you do not have a couple bucks to throw us but still want to help the show out, please leave us a positive iTunes review. Next week, we are talking about... Defiant and fascination...